This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You can find more Joycasts and show blogs. Go to joy.org.au. Stand Up Straight on Joy 94.9. Good evening and welcome everyone. I'm Michelle Barber and you are listening to Stand Up Straight where we aim to provide a vehicle for the allied supporters to stand up for our GLBT&I community to encourage and create greater inclusion, share stories, give advice, create dialogue or introduce a new way of thinking but most importantly to facilitate change toward greater acceptance of our rainbow family in all its shapes and sizes. Thanks for a great afternoon's uh, music and entertainment with Dano and Mason and to the lovely Beck for the news. I have Clayton across the desk who uh, may remain silent, maybe not tonight, and the lovely Stephanie across the desk from me. Hello, Stephanie. Hi, Michelle. So for lots of people in our rainbow community, San Francisco holds a special place. Claimed by some as the epicentre of the worldwide LGBTI community, San Francisco has one of the largest and most prominent LGBTI communities and is one of the most important in the history of LGBTI rights and activism. Tonight on Joy, we have two San Franciscans who, for the past 40 years, have been part of the city's ever-changing rainbow landscape. And together, they're going to share with us tonight some of their tales of the city with stories of protest movements, flower shows, Armistead Morpin and life in a city where almost anything goes. So welcome to Stand Up Straight, <laughs> Kay and Jay Eastie. Oh, thank you. Thanks I'm glad to be here. Can and I, before you say anything, Sarah, there, something really lovely happened as you were introducing them. They've had this gentle touch between them and this beautiful look between each other, this sense of joy. They're sitting in the studio and hearing you introduce them. It was really lovely. Well, I guess I guess a quick disclosure, Kay and Jay are family. Um, but they're also first-time joy guests, so they are very special to us. Um so perhaps we should begin tonight with a little bit of personal history as Kay is an Australian and Jay an American. 
And to put things into context, we probably need to know how you both found your way to San Francisco and why. And, Jay, I think we should begin with you. Well, I, uh, I, I went out to San Francisco as I waited to find out whether I was going to be sent to Vietnam. I had been working on the East Coast. Uh, I got drafted for a number of reasons. They decided they would not take me then. They'd call me in six months, and I thought, well, forget that. <laughs> and I went out to San Francisco. I started working in a restaurant out there that turned out to be a very successful operation. Um, yeah, now just, I just I hate to interrupt, but I just need, you need to put that yeah, it's restaurant not just in. A restaurant. It's not just <laughs> a restaurant. Oh, sorry. You need sorry. to name it. That's right. Armistead <laughs> Mopin would insist on it. It was Perry's Restaurant. Yes. From Tales of the City. Yeah, and Jay, were you not one of the first um, employees I was. at Perry's? I was. We had a lot of fun. We, we built it from, there was virtually nothing on the street. It was a little Italian neighborhood with a couple of shoe stores and a movie theater. And uh, by the time, I guess, uh, some few years later, it was, it, the whole place was really jumping. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So <clears throat> basically what I did, I, I would work for six or eight months. I'd go off and ski bum. I'd come back. I'd work for another six or eight months. And at some point, I just realized, you know, I, this, you know, I, I graduated university. I'd been out for a while. And I just decided uh, the, the draft resolved itself. I didn't have to go to Vietnam. And I suddenly said, wait a second, I, I'm in control of my own life. I need to do something. I need to go to graduate school. So uh, through, through a couple of sort of serendipitous um, events, I found myself at Harvard, accepted at Harvard. And it was like, oh, my goodness, how did that work? <laughs> and so, uh, yes, so I put, out, put all my possessions in my little Volkswagen and drove across country and found myself in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Okay, and we're going to take a little moment to, to then interject with Kay because that is where I believe you two met. Yes, that's right. We met at Harvard because I had been a teacher in Melbourne and uh, decided we were doing a lot of radical teaching that we didn't quite know what we were doing, so I better go back to school. <laughs> I applied for Harvard, got into Harvard, and uh, that's where I met Jay. And in that little blue VW, we made our way back across country together. Did you feel like a, a pair of rebels or devil may care, do you think, in those times? I think I felt um, that I really wanted to stay in America at that time because I noticed as a woman that uh, there seemed more possibilities. This was in the 70s, the early 70s, and I felt very excited about it. And I also felt a bit... Rootless and fancy free, as mm. you say. So, well, sorry, Michelle. So, in Boston, why not stay in Boston? What was the draw back to San Francisco? Well, basically, it was Jay's favourite town. <laughs> he was brought up on the East Coast uh, in Philadelphia and Washington, D.C., and he didn't want to stay on the East Coast. And he already been living in San Francisco and had loved it. He just felt it was his city. Mm. So he said, uh, by that time I was an illegal immigrant. <laughs> My visa had expired. So I thought, what the hell? I'm going to San Francisco. And uh, we've never left. We are going to take a quick break. We're going to come and find out what, uh, what drew you to San Francisco and what is that so amazing. I'd love to find out what it's like. Uh, one day I'd love to visit and I haven't. You are listening to Stand Up Straight on Joy. Joy 
joined in the studio tonight by Jay and Kay, who are some uh, well-travelled guests, but first-time joy guests. We were chatting before about um, the San Francisco being your home, and uh, for those keen listeners to stand up straight would realise that the music we just played them was probably not um, something they would hear very often, but it was called San Francisco Bay Blues by Eric Clapton. Tell us why you selected that song. Well, um, we wanted to pick something that was reminiscent of the city that we found when we got there. Mm. And uh, we both love music. Jay is a singer. Um, uh, We were thinking of the Fillmore District, which was so filled with jazz and performances. And, of course, Eric Clapton played constantly in San Francisco. So that just popped into our minds. And you sing? I believe, Jay, just a little. I do. I am. (laughs) I'm I'm, uh, taking a recess at the moment because I find that I either miss too many many practices or Mm. I miss the performance entirely because we're traveling. But I have been singing for the last 20 years with a mixed uh, 
chorus, an when audition you say mixed, chorus. Mixed being men, women, straight, gay, black and white. Tell me what draws you to that that environment. Not just the singing, but is it the community, the sense? It of is community? the community. I've made a lot of good friends there over the years. I uh, people I really care about, and uh, we make. I mean, it really is extraordinary. We sing some. This is the classical repertoire, and we've sung in Davies Symphony Hall. Mm-hmm. There, we can be anything from 150 to 225 voices, and it's Gosh. pretty powerful stuff when everybody's at full voice. And there's a lot of choirs and variety of music in, th- in San Francisco, isn't there? Yes, there are, and there's some famous uh, gay men's choirs. Yeah. In particular, there's Chanticleer, which is famous and puts out a lot of records, and we've been going to their performances for years and then there's the Gay Men's Chorus, which is another group, which is fantastic. Mm. They have some wonderful countertenors. They have the full range of voices, actually, and they have very interesting, varied programs. It seems to be that San Francisco would be the ultimate melting pot. Would you say that too? Uh, yes, we we love the fact that it is. We love the fact that it, that, that it was like that when we got there. It seemed extremely um, mixed. It seemed very tolerant. When I say mixed, um, the LBGTI community was very strong there. When we first arrived, we lived in a building uh, which had gay... Everybody was gay in the building. We were the only straight couple <gasps> in the building. Tell and me, how we, did that feel? Or it do you felt not, you just wonderful. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we were just very close friends. Mm. And we lived through some dramatic... City events together. And I'd like to touch on that a little bit too because I know that um, you have witnessed a lot of the community's important history in San Francisco. Yes. And probably beginning in the late 70s with Harvey Milk. What do you remember about um, his influence on gay rights and and on the city itself? Well, Harvey was a character. uh, As everybody knows, he was a very strong personality. And before he was assassinated, assassinated, we all knew who he was, right, because he was in the newspapers and he was the first gay supervisor on the San Francisco City Council. Uh, Sorry, was he accessible? When you say you knew who he was, was he someone who was accessible? Could you, would you see him sort yes, of wandering he, around? And Yes, he had a camera shop on the Castro, <laughs> in the did, Castro, yes. and we lived near the Castro, just on the borderline of the Castro. For those that and don't H. know, what is the Castro? For the, ha- the Castro is a famous uh, gay men's area in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of great restaurants and shops and some beautiful housing, and of course it's on a hillside, or hillsides. <laughs> is mm. most of San Francisco? The whole city <laughs> is on hillsides. Uh, so the Castro is very lovely. So we knew Harvey already, and we knew of him, but you could go in and say hello in his shop and he'd chat to you. Wow. Was he approachable? Very. Mm. But he is a very intense person, very Mm. high energy. Mm. And so tell me about the night that he was assassinated because you have mentioned in the past that you you did go out onto the streets along with thousands, I believe, of other San Franciscans. And I'm sure Jay remembers it vividly as well. I do. I uh, The... The complete shock. I mean, it was, it was a shock. Mm-hmm. Terrible. I, I, lear- I learned of it uh, early afternoon. It was a work day. And, and uh, it was almost that sense of, you know, when one of the Kennedys was shot yeah. or Martin Luther King was shot. It was just, what? It was mm-hmm. what? No, it was really stunning. And, the, of course, the mayor 
was murdered at the same time, mm. George Moscone, who was very gay friendly. Yes, he was a big advocate yeah. and friend of the mm. community, wasn't he? Yes, yeah. and he and Harvey, uh, Harvey was new in on the uh, the board of supervisors. So there was a huge, uh, we just had to do something. So, of course, we knew everybody in our building. So we went down to uh, the Castro and we went on a candlelight march. Mm. And it was just amazing that... Just thousands and thousands of people turned up. From the walked from the Castro down to City Hall. Yes, war, and it was um, dead quiet. Wow. It was absolutely silent. Would, was there and was it only sadness, or was it also disbelief? Was it anger? Uh, the anger came later. Right. Uh, but at that time, it was mourning. Yeah. I think it was really the time to mourn. And a lot of people were very stunned and unbelieving. And he was such a, a, a magnetic person and so full of passion for change. Yes. And was there that sense of, oh, no, what are we going to do now? This man, this leader has gone, we're going to go backwards with rights and that kind of thing. Was there any that kind of element? I don't remember that um, being a conscious thought. I think mm. I, I don't feel that we felt that there was going to be a backslide. No. I don't remember consciously thinking that. I, maybe Not really. Know. I don't think I felt afraid that would happen. We did worry after the murderer uh, got a very light sentence and the city just blew up mm. and there was violence and so forth and none of us went downtown towards City Hall then and people were very, very angry and... But in a way, I think it was a cleansing anger. Wow. I mean, they burnt a few cars and who cares really? Mm-hmm. They just expressed so clearly the upset that everybody felt. Was Did this motivate you to perhaps be even more active or, or uh, more sense of social justice at that time than perhaps you might have not, might not have had? Oh, very much so. Mm. I, th- I think a lot of people felt that and in a in a peculiar way sometimes activity comes out of a sad event you know it prompts new events that are good so the first gay pride march was in 1970 and i know that was before you actually arrived in san francisco and the 46th one last year (laughs) where apparently nearly two million people descended on the city from all over the world (laughs) what's the city like during um what effectively is one of the biggest public parties of the year (laughs) Well, it's madness, actually. <laughs> it's, uh, but it's kind of controlled madness these days. The police uh, uh, keep everything fairly calm and it's just lovely. It's, it's huge, though. It's very hard to get a handle on it and it's very hard to get to see it because there's so many people there. Do you remember your first march? Yes, and I do. And how you felt that moment? Did you have a placard? Did you, what, no. Do you remember? No placard, but... Uh, no. I remember sitting on the curb and just watching this go by, and it was really, it was really good. Yes, really we good watched uh, the parade. Is always was always led by dykes on bikes, um, who were naked actually. So okay, well we have the dykes on bikes here in Melbourne, but they're not naked. Well, that sounds like a bit of a challenge. They were perhaps. naked from the waist up, and in 1974, I think was the first one I went to. That was a bit of a surprise. Mm. And uh, but the spirit was beautiful. We had a lovely. It's always the spirit is very high, mm. and I think after the uh, AIDS epidemic, uh, the virus got underway. 
I feel that the parade became more serious mm. for a few years and it was more political. And I think from my most recent experiences, it's got a little happier and more crazy. So we might come back and talk a little bit about um, life in San Francisco during the 80s and 90s, during the AIDS crisis, after this quick break. Have you been avoiding health insurance altogether? Don't spend hours researching and making confusing phone calls. Find a new healthcare policy with ChooseWell and receive a free joy Be an ally. Talk it out. Educate yourself. Stand up straight on Joy 94.9. We have the gorgeous Jay and Kay in the studio who are uh, telling us that they're very, very, very fierce, passionate uh, San Franciscans. Would you say? Is that correct? Would that yes. Be how to describe yes, you? you? Can call us um, that. <laughs> and um, have said that they would love to hear a message or a question. So if you'd like to send us a message, you can do so on 0427 Joy 949, or you can send us an email on air at joy.org.au. Just like Stephen has, uh, he says, loving the show, and there's my favourite word again, serendipity. <laughs> listening, listening while riding my bike, I'm fascinated by the tales and experiences that these two amazing people are sharing. Much love to you all. Thank you, Stephen. Um, we uh, were talking just before the song about the environment, um, San Francisco, in the 80s and uh, you were going to have a sort of give us a little bit of a feel of what it was like and you, you were mentioning about the AIDS epidemic and how it impacted on you in those times. Well, um, we were there in the beginning of the AIDS epidemic and it was an amazing time, I think, because it brought out both good and bad in people mm-hmm. because nobody knew how the de- disease was transmitted mm. And the politicians weren't doing a terribly good job of funding research. And so there was a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked at a large corporation and uh, people people were saying things like, well, you can't touch their keyboards. Or, Jay has a reminiscence of his uh, dentist, right? Going to my dentist and, uh, who had always, you know, just – he was just there and <laughs> – all of a sudden, he had a, a transparent mask and gloves on, mm. you know, fearing the possible blood uh, being spattered on him. That would have been commonplace, though, I would. That, that, that type of behavior, I mean, would it have been? Yes, I think so. so. And I guess for me, it was a bit of a shock because you saw a darker side of people, but. I felt we just had to hang in and wait and be patient and find out what was going on. And gradually the research that was being done in France and in America, and I'm sure in here, gradually filtered into the population. So there was more of an understanding how the virus is passed from person to person. Did you have um, any friends that were... Or that you know of or knew of? That yes. Were, yeah, you did. Yes. And because we were in the, in a gay community. We had a lot of friends, a lot of straight people in San Francisco have gay friends. You know, it's a big mixed community. So unfortunately, yes, we went through that. Um, and I also was affected by the fact that many of my gay friends just lost really even dozens of friends. It was so hard on them. Were you a bit of a mum figure or a sister figure and brother and dad figure, do you think? Well, I don't think we were old enough then to be mum and dad. So but we, we tried. Sister. <laughs> yeah, the, the sister. We tried to support people. 
look after people, help people who are looking after people. How did you do that? You well, I, we knew um, gay women who were really the support crew for mm. many uh, deathly ill gay men. And uh, so where we could support people, we did. Mm. So you were the second tier. They, they were at the coalface and then you were supporting, yes. you caring yes. for the carers, yes. which is so important yeah. too because if the carers fall down, you know, then, then the whole system falls down. So. Yes, and it was a very delicate situation in the beginning. I think people were very lonely. They were by themselves. And the community, the gay community, the LBTI community really got together and supported the community. It was just something wonderful to watch. And do you think that strengthened the city um, as a, a city as a whole, uh, having that community support and having you know being part of that? Well, I think yes. In it, there are so many organisations there now, aren't there? There's social organisations and health organisations, and there's a lot of things. If you people like us, we go to Art for AIDS that uh, raises money for uh, patients and supporting patients in their homes. I'm wondering, see, here in Stand Up Straight, we're, we're allies. And some people are, I, I believe you're made that way. You are community aware you're an activist in some way shape or form or you've got a sense of social justice so I'm wondering what makes you tick from that perspective why why were you or are you and you continue for many many years have been so passionate about it would have been so easy for you to run or go somewhere else or this is too hard or whatever why did you stay and what makes you tick like this (laughs) <laughs> I think I think that uh, my sense has always been when I first saw the Bay Area, um, having grown up on the East Coast, I, I came out to get the last of uh, some university credits toward graduation at Stanford Summer School down, down the peninsula in Palo Alto. Summer in the Bay Area, uh, outside of San Francisco, where it's foggy and cold, <laughs> was remarkable. I mean, it was like... Um, 25 degrees every day and the sun was out and I just thought to myself I have, I, I'm in heaven <laughs> I, I, after, after the humidity and mosquitoes of the east coast I was very ready <laughs> to discover the, the Bay Area So do you think perhaps that there is some link between harbour cities and sunshine and the gay community because Sydney is not dissimilar to San Francisco and again it's got the you know a very significant GLBTI population as well so I think that may be a good point I I, I have to say Sydney may be prettier than the Bay Area it's it's a pretty remarkable (laughs) harbour but I can certainly see it it has that same um Joie de vivre. It has that same everybody at the beach. And, yeah. Not much. Not mm. much in the way of clothing. Yeah. You just you're just out there. You know, you're just out there. <laughs> you are. Oh, and and you know, talking about not much and clothing. There there was um, you know a time when I visited San Francisco a couple of years ago, and we were in a park, DeLorean Park. And there was a lot of nudity there. And there, there were, again... Dolores Park. Dolores Park. Yes. Dolores Park. Notorious. Notorious. <laughs> but but <laughs> there was a lot of nudity there. But at the time, there was some protest movement around nudity. What was that about? Oh, oh that's right. Well, it was a bunch of people who liked to get naked and not have any... Men. 
men, men. <laughs> and it just so happened that they tended to be older and larger. <laughs> and unattractive. And rather and, unattractive. <laughs> and a little grey. And uh, that didn't so slow them down. <laughs> that didn't slow them down. And so for a while they were uh, quite apparent, but especially around the Castro, I have to say. And then the city got a bit fussed about them. So I believe there was a regulation that they were not allowed to take public transport naked. Mm. You had to put your panties on. <laughs> and, uh, some, some parents took exception. And uh, some parents said, what will I do if my four-year-old sees them? Well, nothing. Mm. You know, your four-year-old will be just fine. You have an interesting conversation. <laughs> yes. It would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> but uh, the movement seems to have faded. I'm pleased to hear that. And I'm sure, yes. I'm sure Addie will be too because she was probably too. horrified as a six-year-old. We are going to take a break. But we are going, when we come back, we're going to fast forward to uh, more current times. We're going to talk about protest movements um, of recent times. You're on Stand Up Straight. Way Out, House of Awesome is a social group for LGBTI people aged 12 to 25 in the Massenden Ranges. Run every two weeks during school terms at the Massenden Ranges Youth Space in Kyneton. Way Out offers a welcoming safe space for current and new members. For more information, contact Cobor Community Health Services on 54211666. Cobor Community Health is a rainbow tick accredited organisation in the Massenden Ranges. Joy is Proud to support this community message. The Sydney gay and lesbian Mardi Gras is coming to joy for a weekend-long simulcast across Australia. From next Friday, Chris and Cam host the CNC Drive Factory live from Sydney at four. Then Dylan takes over with countercultured Mardi Gras themes set from eight. On Saturday, Anastasia and Warren host your Mardi Gras breakfast from seven. Macca and Taz present Saturday Magazine from the SBS studios at nine. Michael teams up with Adam Richard to get the party started at one. Gina, Beck and Dave bring you the parade pre-show from four. Then, from 7pm, join Dean Akuri and Michael Dalton as they commentate on this year's parade from seven with live crosses to our revolving report, roving, revolving, roving reporters right on the street. Oh, and that's going to be an awesome awesome day on the radio plus a heap of programming on sunday to wind down your mardi gras weekend keep listening to joy for more details don't miss out on one of the biggest broadcasts joy has ever undertaken from march 3rd to march 5th live on joy sbs radio 3 and across the community radio network australia wide the joy of summer the joy of mardi gras joy 94.9 Leather is a community-based organisation that seeks to support and advance the diverse leather communities of Melbourne and Victoria, made up of practitioners of a broad range of sexual arts. Thick Leather is a not-for-profit community-operated organisation with proceeds of events directly benefiting the community. We welcome people of all genders and sexualities. Join us for Gear Up, a monthly informal catch-up for lovers of leather. Warm up for the weekend, have a drink and meet other like-minded people sharing interests and stories. For more on Gear Up and Vic Leather in general, visit vicleather.org.au. A community message supported by Joy. Hi, this is Adelaide, and you're listening to my mum, Stephanie, and Michelle on Stand Up Straight on Joy 94.9. 
Jay and Kay, all the way from San Francisco, are in the studio with us tonight. And uh, Stephanie's next to me. Clayton's across the desk. So uh, if you'd like, to, if you'd like to send a message in, you can do so on o four two seven joy nine four nine, or send us an email on air at joy org au. Now, folks, I don't know if you're a bit. Uh, not wanting to answer my question and whether we uh, or cleverly avoided it. But um, I'm just wondering what it is that makes you tick. Why are you an ally and someone else is? And why are you so passionate about human rights and equality when others are not? And I'm wondering whether have you always been that way all your lives? Is this just how you're made? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in on that. The uh, I, When I was... When I was uh, Confronted with the possibility of being sent to Vietnam, uh, I tried a, a, a number of things. I didn't want to have to flee the country. I, I was determined to stay, stick it out, find a way to make the draft work against itself mm. and, and leave me alone. And, um, and I started thinking very hard about uh, 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 going after conscientious objection as, as my reason for not serving. Mm. I talked to a draft lawyer. He said, well, you know, you need to document what it is that makes you a conscientious objector. You take, you know, go home and make some notes. And I did. I went home and I I quite amazed myself because I came up with like three legal pages of uh, the Quaker influences that I had experienced through my life as I grew up amongst Quakers outside of Philadelphia. and, I, and I'd gone to uh, Quaker camps for three summers where we'd sit around and, and have a meditation in the morning. And I started to realize um, that I was a pacifist. I, and, and, you know, I, I had no interest in, in uh, being violent toward other people. And at the same time, I didn't really <laughs> want people being violent toward me. But it seemed to me, I've always felt that the Bay Area was... San Francisco, in particular, was a lovely place to live. I mean, I've I, I've worked down the peninsula. I I always am pleased to come back to the city because it is. It's diverse. It's different. I I can't imagine living in a place that didn't have that diversity. Um, yeah. Do you consider yourselves allies, though? Allies. Well, yes, I do mm-hmm. because I've um, Jay's had Quaker influences and I've always been on the left in terms of movements or Mm. went through the 60s and 70s and why I'm like that I'm not terribly sure except I was brought up in a household that was without bigotry so Mm. I don't think I learnt that stuff at my mother's knee I just didn't hear it I Mm. didn't hear it and I grew up very interested in politics and was in the 70s movements particularly anti-Vietnam Etc. So right up to quite recently as well. Yes, indeed. Yes. She's got and a big grin on her well, face. Hasn't she, we loved getting the photo a few weeks ago of Kay in her little pink beanie yes. at the Women's March. Tell us a little bit about that because obviously things have changed in the last um, yes, well, in the last month, um, particularly. But but tell us a little bit about the the. The Women's March in San Francisco. Well, um, I have some very dear old friends in a couple of um, clubs that I belong to and uh, we're all on the floor 
when a certain person was elected and uh, just didn't know what to do next. Um, I had friends in tears, friends in depression. Mm. Um, So one of the things that saved us was action. And uh, so the women, uh, the the women's march was just brilliant and it allowed lots and lots of different people, not just women, to, I don't mean not just women, not um, men, uh, families, a lot of families, mm. uh, gay and straight people to come out and express how upset they were. And I did have a little pink pussy hat <laughs> And uh, along with hundreds of other women who are all wearing their little pink pussy hats. And uh, so we all marched and uh, it was a pouring with rain. And it was very inspiring in San Francisco because there were thousands of people standing in the pouring rain and marching in the pouring rain. So it felt wonderful to be back on the streets. (laughs) <laughs> well, we have mutual gay friends in San Francisco, and I we know that. Do. Yeah, and I know that you have a lot of other um, GLBTI friends in um, San Francisco. What's the overall sentiment from your friends about the new administration? Well, as you know, Steph, a couple of our friends are very worried about mm. the new administration and even afraid of it, mm. and uh, it seemed to be doing. Uh, it doesn't that gayness was not an issue up to today or yesterday morning when we heard or read in the New York Times that Trump has um, changed some of Barack Obama's regulations regarding uh, transgenders' youth of bathrooms in schools. And so that's very worrying because I frankly think, and uh, I'm not an expert on this, but I'm always filled with opinions, that uh, (laughs) Donald Trump doesn't care what happens, really doesn't care, but he will bow to pressure Mm -hmm. from the extreme right. And that's the first sign we've seen. Mm. Um, So it's very important to be active. There's just hundreds of resistance groups. Um, I think if you look on the cover of Time, it's a bit refreshing it is not complimentary to Donald Trump, this week's issue of Time. Oh, I haven't heard anything about have that. What you have to have a look yeah. because the press is getting very upset because he's threatening the freedom of the press. Mm-hmm. Do we understand over here what you're going through, do you think? Do we have an idea, a bit of an idea? I think you do. I, 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 <laughs> we're sometimes struck by how much political <laughs> information is outside of a America. Yeah. A lot of you, a lot of a lot of American citizens do not have the same information that people have in France and in Australia, in a lot of other countries. And I, you know, and they're watching America very closely because right behind the presidential election in America come elections in France, elections in Germany. Germany. It's like yes. it's not. It doesn't right. seem like it's a very attractive uh, scene out there, and we're all worried. And I think that. A lot of people look to America to see, you know, what's the bellwether, what's happening, which way is the wind blowing. So, And in San Francisco, what's the mood there more specifically? Does it echo the rest of the country or a major part of the country? No, I think you know, no. San Francisco's uh, very, very uh, blue. Uh, I, what was it? Ninety percent of ninety percent voted yes, for Hillary. Did not vote for Trump. No. Yeah. So it's a very it's a bubble. We so live in a beautiful bubble, I believe. 
But um, I no longer believe that quite as much as I did before because there's so much protest. There's protest in places like Virginia, for instance. So I think it's waking up, especially with um, the attempts to repeal the Affordable Care Act, which affects people all over America. Affects mm-hmm. gay people, affects straight people, particularly affects poor people. Something like 50% of Americans did not know that Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act were one and the same. Yes. So. Yeah, I, look, I'm, I'm not a politically motivated person and I don't have uh, a lot of interest in politics. But the interesting um, thing that I find for myself is that I'm now wanting to learn more uh, and you know, about a country that's on the other side of the world because my GLBTI community, I feel, over there is going to be affected and maybe that's what's piquing my interest or my concern. I don't know. Mm. Yes, it's a worry. I think Steph follows American politics very closely. I do. And, I, you know, I think that one of the good things that has come out of um, this new administration, probably the only good thing so far, is that... You know, journalists have sharpened their pencils. And the reason that I'm so riveted, I mean, I've always been interested in American politics, but um, there's just some amazing journalism coming out of the States at the moment, some great podcasts, some great news articles. You know, you've got to look at yes. where you're getting your information from, sure, but but there is some fantastic stuff coming out of America. And I think it is really relevant. And I think, it, you know, it, it, America is, you know, probably the most important country to us. Um, as an ally and, um, yes. you know, we need to know what's going on there. But it was interesting because during the, le- the election we talked a little bit about voting um, and I particularly remember an email that you sent, Kay, um, where you outlined some oh. of the things that you had to vote on in the election <laughs> and the process. And, you know, we, we're always flabbergasted here in Australia that so few people in America vote. And perhaps you can explain, <laughs> you know, why that is because after reading about this process I thought, God, no wonder people don't vote. <laughs> Well, I'm a dual citizen, Australian-American citizen, and uh, Jay and I went through this process. You get, uh, you we essentially the bottom line is I voted on 54 propositions mm. and about how many people? 15 people, probably. 15 people, and you get a voter information booklet that is um, about an inch thick. <laughs> And you have to read through it um, to understand who you should vote for, which is actually more straightforward than you would think. But there are propositions on there that affect our lives, both put on there by the state and by the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. And they're all about money. They're um, often about gay rights. They're about all kinds of things. So you have to read the two and the four, and you have to make a decision yourself Uh, how you're going to vote when you get in there. You do not have to vote on all of them, so you could walk into the polling booth and vote on one thing. But, um, you know, we're pretty conscientious, so we slog through the whole thing and (laughs) then we go in there and vote. Now, what happens is I think a lot of young people, people who speak English as a second language, are very put off by this huge ballot. It's intimidating. Yeah, it is. We've actually had a, a, a question come in, and thank you uh, for your message, Brad. Um, he says he finds it interesting that the voter turnout in the USA is so low. I wonder if they all voted as we do here. The result may have been very different, and we will never know. But um, it's a great question. Thank you, Brad. Uh, we're going to go for a quick break and uh, come back and wrap up. You're on a Stand Up Straight on Joy. You're listening to Michelle on Stand Up Straight on Joy 94.9. 
She's my mum. Thank you for joining us tonight on Sand Up Straight. We are almost at the top of the hour and I'd just like to say a very special thank you to Kay and Jay for joining us tonight and for sharing some of the... uh, some of your fantastic history of San Francisco. It's been, for me, really enlightening mm, and mm. I know for... And a real pleasure to have you in. And you, you've got these joyous faces and uh, you would be absolutely and utterly at home here in Joy uh, any day. Uh, <laughs> so you can tune in and listen from the other side of the world. Uh, well, it is an annual trip that they make to Australia. So oh, we'll same time next year. Same, same time right. next yeah. year. Chapter two. You yes. won't be able to keep us on the, <laughs> off the mic. <laughs> so thank, definitely, thank you. Thank you and yeah. we think of ourselves as your allies. That's, oh, we, that's, oh right. that's lovely to hear. So thank you. It's been a really a lovely time meeting you. So uh, the rest of the evening on Joy, we've got uh, Family Matters who are talking. Cover your ears. Sperm and all other stuff tonight <laughs> and the woods at nine o'clock, the fabulous bear show. Uh, we have a great show lined up for you next week. We have a friend of mine, Daniel, and his father who, uh, to say they've had a challenging relationship, uh, all things related to uh, religion and uh, many, many other things. So that's going to be a very moving story of Daniel and uh, reconciling with his father. So I really look forward to uh, having them in the studio next week. Beck will be back next week. Clayton across the desk. Thank you very much. Thank you, Stephanie, next to me. And as they all say... Joy 94.9 is a GLBTIQ community radio station in Melbourne, Australia. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.